0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. It's when there's an obstacle there, and you've got to get through it. You've got to get over it. You've got to somehow make it. We're all, often we're motivated or we're encouraged when we see someone face an obstacle and get through it. Author Ricky Zell gave a whole list of these, and, and, I, and I quote what he says. The pages of history are lined with individuals encountering negative setbacks only to make something positive out of them. Those are encouraging stories, aren't they? The, we, if you have watched the Olympics the last couple of weeks, they would tell backstories of how people got to where they did and some of the obstacles they had to overcome, some of the personal illness, some in their family, just to get, and we're always motivated by that. And this author tells us, he says, there are those, and he gave examples of throughout history of those who just overcame those and and faced them and and came out on the other side. And he ends up this way. They saw the misfortunes not as dilemmas to destroy them, but as opportunities to grow and develop in ways that otherwise would have been impossible. We, We love that when someone sees an obstacle and sees a struggle and gets through it, right? But understand, what Paul's writing about here is not some positive, just some positive uh, idea, something of, you know, you can make it, you can do this, Every, you just give it hard enough. He, he's not, there's something bigger in mind here. He's actually telling us that as a journey, uh, on the journey as believers, there will be challenges. The struggle is real and, and all of us will attest to that, but what will our response be? How do we respond to that struggle? Join me in my struggle, Paul says, and understand, Paul's not complaining about how bad his struggle is. Oh, life is so hard. Join me in my struggle. That's, that's not his point. He's, he's telling us that, that the struggle is real and that the fact is that's a struggle that, that he faces. But let's, let's be honest, the struggle that he faces may be different in some ways than the one you're facing. But it doesn't mean that yours is any less of a struggle, it's not any less of a challenge, but it is, it's going to be different. It's going to be unique to your situation, but it is still a challenge. As we look back in Paul's life, you go back just a few verses, verse 23 through 29, uh, Paul kind of describes where some of his challenges will come from. Let me give you a little history in case you're not familiar. The book of Romans is interesting. Paul's writing this book to the church of Rome, but he's never been there yet. He's not been to Rome yet. In fact, he's probably not met many of the people of that church. There's a few. We'll see those next week. But there's many. He hasn't even met them. But it is his goal. He wants to get there ASAP as fast as he can. He's trying to get to his journey. And he tells them that. And, and not only to go to Rome, he says, and I also want to go on to Spain. There's, there's ministry God has for me. So he's telling them his goals. He's telling them where he's going. He said, however, before I can do that, I've got to go back to Jerusalem. He's been in Asia, if you want a geographical lesson. Now he's got to get back to Jerusalem. And and here's what we know in Acts chapter 20. He was aware that going back to Jerusalem, he wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen, but he knew pretty much it wasn't going to be good. He was pretty clear that there was going to be opposition, there was going to be perhaps danger involved. Um, and, and he had been told by many people that, that that's where, and so here's what we know from history. When Paul goes back to Jerusalem, that's where his whole journey of in and out of prison really begins. Because he does eventually get to Rome. It does finally make it. His goal is fulfilled, but he gets to Rome as a prisoner of the Roman government. He gets to Rome on a slave ship, Right? That's how he actually gets there to do the ministry that he has in mind. And, and that's where this the whole idea... So here's how Paul is writing. He sees this struggle coming. When he writes the, that we talked about, this book of Philippians, to his friends there, he's actually writing that book from a Roman prison cell. Somewhere he was in, he was in prison and he's writing that. So when he's writing, he's writing as a prisoner... But he's not writing to other prisoners. He's writing to those who. But listen how he describes it. Philippians 1.29. it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Look what he says, verse thirty. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Wait a second, Paul. They don't have the same struggle. They're not in prison. What he's saying is, when when I see what you're going through, I can relate to that. I can identify. Yes, I hear what you're saying. I I have a struggle. The struggle is real for me, and it's real for you. We're going through a, the the struggle is there's an enemy that's out to destroy us, and he's going to use different ways to get to each one of us, and his may be a prison cell, yours may, but the struggle is, is real. So what Paul's saying is, whatever your struggle is today, this challenge, obstacle, it could be financial, it could be relationship, maybe in your marriage, maybe in, in the, the relationships in your family. Maybe it's the the, the struggle that we have of, of just not hearing seeing our prayers answered or not seeing a meaning and a purpose. Going through the trial that we're going through, or or we with the crisis or tragedy or the the loss that we feel, and and we're going we're in it. There is a struggle, and your struggle may be different from mine, but it is a struggle. Some of it's a part of you know we face life struggles, and then some of it's specifically because we're followers of Christ. But the struggle is real. But I want you to also notice that this Paul, what Paul's saying here is not just about those struggles of life. What Paul in context is talking about is the struggle that is his ministry. The struggle that is what he, what God has called him to do. And each one of you as a follower of Christ, God has called you to do a work. He's equipped you and he has, he's given you the gifts you have and there's a, and that in itself is, is part of what God, what Paul would describe as his, as his struggle, as his work When we look at the Greek word for this word struggle, here's what the definition is. It means to contend, to engage in conflict. Literally, it had the picture of a military battle or an athletic contest, or by application, it's talking about the spiritual battle of believers in this life. When he says, join me in my struggle, he's saying, yes, I get it. We relate. We have struggles. But I want you to be a part of ministry with me. I want you to be a part of what God has called me to do. I want us to strive together to do what God has called us together to do. That's where we get the picture of our kayak, our rowing. The idea of being able to to not just be in the same boat but actually put all our oars in the water and with all of our challenges, we're striving together, we're working together, We're, we're doing the struggle together, which leads us to this second thought, that you're not in this struggle on your own. He makes it very clear that this was never intended for you to do this struggle By yourself. Look at a verse again. Join me in my struggle. Now I point that out because that whole phrase in English is actually one word in Greek. And it's it's interesting because the one word is actually, the root word is where we get our English word agony from. To agonize. To struggle is that, that striving, that agony we have. But there's something interesting about that phrase and Paul's using here. In fact, this is the only time he uses this word in the New Testament. There, he takes that word agony and he adds a little, three little letters on the front of the word. And those three little letters make, give this word this significance. It's the, it's, it adds the word with or together. So what he's saying is contend, agonize, strive, and do it together. That's why we get the translation, join with me. In this struggle. Children of God, church, you were meant to struggle. That's, we're in life, we're in a warfare, but you were never meant to do it alone. He says, join me. We are meant to strive, to work, to struggle together. That's how God has called us. And that's why this unity is so important. That's what the beauty of the church is. That God has never made any believer and then said, now go do this on your own. He's never intended for us to do this in isolation. Take you back to Philippians. Look what he says to the people. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. That's standing in unity together. And notice the very next phrase. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You're you're in unity so that you can work together. So that you're not doing this job alone unity for your church unity for us as believers that's why it is so critical because if it is that important you know the enemy is going to do anything he can to destroy that unity he's going to do anything he can to get us to stop rowing throw our oars in the water or just get out of sync and we're not rowing together and we're not making the impact there's probably a lot of reasons let me let me throw out a couple of things that happen when we are not working together in unity. It it actually dilutes the impact, the effectiveness that we can have as God's people. If you were here last Sunday, we we had that image of many voice, many people all speaking in one voice, remember? Jets, 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 right? That whole the whole idea, when you get all, all the voices saying the same thing, how powerful that is, how impactful that is, and that's what God says. In unity, we can do that. We can all, vo- all the voices, and all our diversity, we can still speak as one voice. But if he takes away the unity, if the enemy gets us divided, then yes, there'll be some faithful voices and they'll speak and God will use them but think of how that's diluted to the impact and even sometimes almost, it's almost drowned out by the, the discussion and the contention and the arguing. He's, it will dilute the very impact that God wants to have for his people. It also will put you as a believer, when we're not striving together, it puts every believer in a precarious position. Because since you weren't meant to do this alone, then if you try to do it, there are some believers that think that, you know, that they don't need the church. In fact, some would say, I- I'm better off without the church. It's not true. The church has got its issues. It's made up of human people. But you're not better without the church. Because the church is how God gives you accountability, Helps you to stay on track. The church is where you hear truth. The church is where you get encouraged when you are going through a struggle. And so if you're trying to paddle this boat all by yourself, you're going to find yourself in a position of where the, the enemy has, uh, has you vulnerable, has you in that kind of attack. And so that's why the, it, the devil wants you to do everything he can to take away that unity. So that's why Paul says, stand firm, strive together. Church, if you're going to be in unity, you understand that's how God has made us, but it's going to be a choice on your part. It's going to be a choice of whether you're going to put up with some people that are sometimes hard to put up with. It's going to be a choice that you're going to forgive when people have hurt you and you're going to ask for forgiveness when you've hurt someone else. It's going to be a choice that you make that you're going to stay connected even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. It's a choice that you make. God has made us, but that's how important it is. Think of those words, prepared and engaged and focused and dedicated and unified. That's what God wants the church and has designed the church to be because the struggle's real, and we're not meant to do the struggle alone. So in unity is how we strive together as one team, rowing in the same direction with the same unison feel. So then Paul says something very important. Our greatest tool in this whole idea of striving together is one simple word that you know, and that's the word prayer. Look what he says back in Romans 15 again. Join me in my struggle. We've got that. But now he continues. Here's how. By praying to God for me. He's inviting these folks to identify with his struggle, to actually work with him in in the ministry he is called. But remember, he's not been there. He's not met most of them. How can we do that, Paul? We don't even know this. We wouldn't recognize you if we saw you on the street. How can we minister with you? How can we be on your team? How can we do? By praying for me. By by going to God in behalf of of, of me. And then also there's something interesting when he uses that word struggle and prayer in the same sentence. It also seems he's implying that this is this is prayer, and, and I, I don't mean to categorize, but it's not just some simple name on a list prayer. The, the word struggle has the idea that he's talking about an intense, genuine, the word struggle there is agonized, so kind of an agonizing kind of prayer. There, there's another guy in the in book of Colossians, Paul introduces the name of Epaphras. I want you to see how he describes Epaphras. Epaphras is one, he's one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, but notice he's always struggling, or some translations say wrestling. There's a perfect picture. He's wrestling on your behalf in his prayers that you'll stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's struggling, he's wrestling for you, with you, but he's doing it in prayer. You are not even in the same room, but he is wrestling in prayer with, with this kind of in intensity. But let's make sure we understand what this means, though. By wrestling in prayer, it's not like we're saying you're wrestling with God to get an answer, you know. I'm going to put God in a full Nelson and, you know, he's going to say uncle and I'm, you know, I'm going to pin God down to give me what I want. That's not what wrestling in prayer means. Wrestling in prayer is you understand how serious this is. You understand what your brother or sister is going through and you're going to God interceding in their behalf and you're agonizing over God, please help them today. Go with them today. You know, there's nothing wrong at all with our lists of prayer and and you have all your people on a list, but sometimes I've experienced, experienced it. That list becomes just that. It's a list. It's a list that I lose. like I lose the grocery list when I go there. It's just a list of names, and I just read off the names. How often do we stop at those names and say, "God, this is my friend, this is my brother, this is my sister. Help them today. God, give them strength today. God, they're going through something I can't understand, but you do. love them today. Let them feel. do you understand? It's agonizing. It's praying with them. You go back to the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Moses. And one of the things Moses was known for is when God's people messed up, Moses as a leader would fall on his face before God and say, God, forgive him. God, help him. God, don't, don't turn your back on him. He interceded for those people. That's what we're talking about is that we're going to God with this kind of, of intensity for the, for the sake of others. You say, I, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, well, let me tell you this. One of the most loving things you can do for another brother or sister in Christ is go to the mat for them in prayer. Go to the mat and agonize and pray in their behalf, God, please do something. Now you're joining them in their struggle. Look what he says. He actually asked the people. This is Paul asking people he's never met. You pray for me. If you're not familiar, the, these last few, this last section almost reads kind of like a missionary prayer letter from Paul. Something like if you go to our our missions TV in the back and you read the letters, or missionary. That's kind of what these last few verses, Paul talks about where he's going, what he's planning to do. He even, even asks them to help support him as he goes on to Spain. But look what he does in verse 31. He asks him to pray specifically, and he says this, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. So we're encouraged to pray for one another. For what? Well, these are specifics, obviously, for what Paul is going through, but there could be some very general things we can learn. For one, he says, I pray for my well-being. Physically, he knows going to Jerusalem is dangerous. He's been a pain in the neck for a lot of those religious leaders for a while. And he knows he's going to face them face on. And he, he's not sure what's going to happen, but it, it's going to be hard. Pray for my safety. Pray for my well-being. So you got a brother sister in Christ. They're right here in this room. How do you agonize with them in prayer? Pray, God, watch over them. Take them wherever they're going to go this week and in your hand. Let them feel your presence. Watch over them physically, spiritually. God, take care of them this week. They're very physical, spiritual well-being. But notice the second thing. Pray that, Paul's saying, pray that the Lord's ministry through me will be effective. In case you're unfamiliar, he actually said, may the offering that I'm bringing be accepted by the Judean believers. And that, that's interesting. History tells us that what we know from the book of Acts is Jerusalem at that point, the, the church in Jerusalem, was struggling, literally, financially. And there was famine and there was persecution. And so many of the church of Jerusalem, they were hurting in just a very practical ways. So Paul, as he did his travels through Asia and Macedonia, he actually would go to the churches and he was taking collections that he was going to take back to the church in Jerusalem just to help them. What a great thing, right? The church helping the church in a whole other part of the world, right? But why would he now say and pray that it will be received? Why in the world wouldn't they receive it? Here's the thing, all those churches in Asia and Macedonia he collected from, they were made up of predominantly Gentile believers, So he's going to go back to Jerusalem, to the church, and there's still a lot of that Jewish influence, and there's the religious leaders, and and he's afraid they could say, "Uh, we don't want your money. It's tainted by the Gentile givers. Very possible. So what is he saying? This is what God has called me to do. Pray that the ministry God has called me to do will be effective that it will reach the hearts that it needs to. So what do you pray for your brothers? Pray for their, their well-being, brothers and sisters. Pray that, that what God wants to do in their life will be real, that they'll be able to stand as a testimony at work, that they'll be able to, to stand at school and to do what God has called them. You, that pray that they're, they're, they've been made in a way that, that God would use them in, in wherever they are and in their neighborhood and in their church. God, make their ministry effective. And then he says, and pray the Lord will allow us to get back together soon. Because that will refresh us both. We'll get back together. We'll love on each other. We'll show each other. what it, he, He's praying for, for fulfillment in ministry. And that's what we can pray for others. God, give them joy in what you called them to do. It may be a hard week, but let them feel that, that fulfillment that they're doing. What you, that give them that joy. And then bring us back together so we can encourage each other. That's what God, that's what Paul said. Join me in my struggle by praying for these specific things. And I want to challenge you this week. Maybe you've got a list of people. Take about four or five of those people on every day this week. Just pray with fervency. Wrestle in prayer. God help them in all of these areas. Make this an attitude because you can join your brothers and sisters in their struggle by praying for them. But as I read this, I'm also challenged recently this particular passage has become very real to me, to my, to my wife and I. You know, I've heard for years, missionaries come to churches, and one of the things that almost every one of them says, what we need most from you is your prayers. Now, they're asking for support, and I've always, in the back of my mind, thought, oh, yeah, they'll take both, though, you know what I mean? They, they really... The truth is that is the most you can be in the ministry with them in a whole other country, a whole other world by praying for them. And God has called upon us to take that step now. So we're we're going on the other side of the fence. And here's what I would say to you: Please pray for us. I got a pic- got a couple pictures. I want you to see. This is some of the faces are represented with the faces that God has called us to be working with. We're working with manna worldwide in East Africa and, and, and with the people there and the missionaries and the churches and, and helping. And, and so here, here's we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the things in front of us. We, we really don't. We don't know where God's going to take us. So I would ask you, please pray. Pray for our physical safety, yes. Pray for, but pray that our ministry would be effective, that we'd be able to, to reach people for Christ. And and pray that we would together we would enjoy fulfilled ministry, and we'll come back. And next time we're in and we, we come back here, we, we join and, and hug each other around the neck and rejoice and refresh each other because this is what God has called us to do. Here's my prayer. Would you join us in ministry? Join us in the struggle by praying for us but I want you to notice something interesting. Paul does ask his friends to pray for him, but notice what happens next. Pray for me, essentially, as I pray for you. Because the last phrase in this chapter, the last sentence, Paul ends with a basically a simple prayer wish. May God. And, but what's interesting about that is that's not the only time he does that in this chapter. Three different times in this chapter, Paul gives a prayer wish for his friends that he's still yet to meet, many of them are in in Rome. I'll show you, verse 5, we started there today. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. Your translation may say, give you the same attitude that Christ had for one another. However it is, it's that idea of put your minds together. I pray that for you. That's my prayer, my wish for this church. Then he goes in verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I I pray for hope and peace to come and just, just pour all over you. And now he comes to the last verse and he simply says, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Think about what he said God of encouragement, the God of endurance, the God of hope, God of peace. May he bring you unity. May he unite your hearts together. May he bring you comfort and and hope and peace that he just overflows. And, And then may his very presence be with you, the presence of the God of peace. When you hear that last phrase, may God of peace be with you, that's a that's not an uncommon phrase that Paul could use, but he literally is saying, as he does in other places, he uses it as I pray that, that God, peace, that the atmosphere of peace becomes what is what resonates within your congregation, within your church, that as a God of peace, you just sense that peace. Here's what we know about peace. Romans tells us that, that we need peace in at least three different ways. That Romans tells us that without God, without Without Christ, we are, we are lost. We're sinners. We're literally at war with God until God, in his mercy, he sent his son to die for us. And if we receive that gift, Romans 5.1 says, if we're justified, we're right with God, we have peace with God. We're no longer at war. We have peace with him. So the God of peace, one is saying that if, if you're here this morning and you've not yet stepped across that line, you're watching online and you still have not experienced that peace with God, God, and their sins are forgiven. God offers you that peace. We also know in scripture that the struggle is real. And some of you are facing some challenges right now or you have been through struggle, you will be facing struggle and there's also according to Philippians a peace of God. A peace that is greater than we can imagine and it's bigger than we could think and it, it comes over us in those times of of, of difficulty and struggle and the peace of God, and so that atmosphere of peace. But in context, what Paul's talking about peace here seems to be, I pray that you have peace with one another, that you have unity. Because see, the, the, there will be problems. We're, we, we're humans. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have contentions. The the, the contention is not the problem. It's how do we respond to it? Are we going to allow those things to divide us or allow them to, to actually unify us as we come together? And he's praying for all those that you have the peace of God within yourselves, that your unity stays strong in the middle of whatever issues that you have. Church, Calvary, I ask you to pray for us but I promise you, we will be praying for you. I pray that the peace with God is real in your life. And if you're here this morning, as I said, and you've not yet accepted that gift of salvation, you've not experienced the peace with God, and I pray that you will. I pray that God draws you and he shows you your need of a savior, and you would come to him and you would experience his peace. I pray that for everyone listening, everyone here with me today. I also pray that in the midst of your struggles, as you grow in your maturity with Christ and you're growing and you learn to cast all your cares on him, that you'll learn as you do that the peace of God then floods your heart. And it's a peace you can't even explain, but it's a peace in the middle of the darkest of situations. I pray that for you. And church, I pray that the peace with one another is strong, is real, that the unity is real in your church because as God wants his peace and he tells us this kind of unity, this kind of peace will make a global impact. My prayer is that you stay unified through all of the issues so that you continue to make a difference in this community and in the world. May the God of peace be with you. Let me close with a verse we've already read, but I want you to hear it from one other translation. Romans chapter 15, verse number five. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. I want to pray for you and, pray with you hopefully here in a moment. My challenge is to just ask you to consider first of all, do you have peace with God? Have you received that gift of salvation that brings peace with your with your creator? If not, God's speaking to you, God's showing you your need, then I, I remind you that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again to give you the, the opportunity the privilege of knowing his Father, would you receive his gift today? Would you receive that peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ? If you have questions, I'd love to answer them. You can, you can, If you're online, you can put it in the comments. You can send me a private message. You can put it on your connection card. I'd love to show you what that peace looks like. But for those of you who know that peace with God, then what does it look like for you to go through the struggles together with those around you? What is your part in the unity of struggling together, of doing this together? What is God asking of you to do? What does that look like from your perspective? Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of how powerful your church can be. And you've designed us to do this work Together, to join one another in the struggle, the struggle of life and the struggle of doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, you will make an impact when we do that. So, God, help us. Help everyone listening to me today to see what their part looks like and to follow you wherever that leads. And if there is one who's not yet received your gift of salvation, please draw them to yourself. Let them. Let the light come on today and they realize this is what they need. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I invite you to just take a moment or two here and and just word that prayer back to God as God has been speaking to you.